Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a quick question about St. Matthew, the writer of our Gospel reading. He was, of course, a disciple. Before that, as you know, he was a tax collector. He was a devout follower of Jesus, and as is obvious, even wrote a biography of his Lord. But do you maybe get the sense that either Matthew really liked St. Peter, so he included him so prominently in his gospel, or do you think that he had some kind of bone to pick with Peter, as Peter always seems to be sticking his foot in his mouth? It is somewhat fun to imagine the dynamics and the interactions between the disciples. I don't think it was either one of those, by the way. I think he did like Peter, but I don't think he did it just, just because. But it is fun to, to, to imagine their interactions, especially after last week, when they wanted to know which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, today, Peter doesn't really stick his foot in his mouth as much as he just doesn't understand his own forgiveness. Last week, Jesus speaks of winning back our brother who has wronged us by going to him with forgiveness at the ready. I think that's the key, with forgiveness at the ready. And seeking our brother's repentance, which is his acknowledgement of wrongdoing, sorrow for injuring his brother, a desire to make it right, and a return to God in humility. But today, Peter has a question. How many times do I have to do that forgiveness thing with my brother? I mean, is it like seven times? Peter, Peter, Peter. He just doesn't understand his own forgiveness. Certainly, if someone does me wrong, I will forgive them. It was a mistake, and I'm a Christian after all. I owe him one. One. It hurt, but hey, they're a Christian too. They repented. It's all good. Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you. See, that's how the world views forgiveness. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. You wrong me once, that's okay. We can get through it. But hurt me again, and forgiveness is withdrawn and the relationship severed. But guess what? That's the world's view of forgiveness, and we are not the world. We are Christians first, citizens of the world second. So Peter is actually trying to be very gracious with his forgiveness. Instead of fool me once, Peter's suggesting a whopping seven fool me onces. There I go making up words again. Seven infractions, seven sins against me. I'll forgive those, right, Jesus? So we laugh at Peter because he gets it wrong once again. And Jesus corrects him. But Peter's actually trying to be more generous than even we usually are. Probably even more than we would even suggest. So Jesus takes Peter's generous offer and he stretches it even further. Taking it beyond the breaking point. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or seven, or seventy times seven. Because the Greek here lends itself to either direction either 77 or 70 times 7 
The exact number, however, is not the point. That would be setting up for us our own law, wouldn't it? So the number is not really that important, as I hope you will see in just a bit. But Jesus intentionally gives a large number. A number that none of us could or are willing to go along with. But still, 70 times 7. Why would I let someone hurt me that many times? Well, it's because we don't understand our forgiveness either. So Jesus gives us and Peter a story. A parable. The story of the unforgiving servant. And just like forgiving 77 times, or 70 times 7 times, this story is extreme. Super extreme. Mega extreme. Extremely extreme. But he makes the point spectacularly. Jesus tells of a master, a king. This king wants to settle accounts with his servants, so he brings in one of those servants. This particular servant comes in and owes him 10,000 talents. That sounds like a lot. Because when we say 10,000, we know what 10,000, that's a big number. Even 10,000 pennies is a lot of pennies. Okay, it may not be worth a whole lot, but there's a lot of pennies. But let's translate this 10,000 talents into a modern number. A talent was a measurement of weight. So its worth kind of depended on what was being weighed. They had standards for this by Jesus' time. But today, if this servant owed 10,000 talents of silver, it would be somewhere around $161 million. Can you imagine owing a king $161 million? But if it was gold, in today's pennies, it would be closer to $12 billion. Huge debt. Either way, there's no way this servant is going to be able to pay it off. And the king is not offering a payment plan. The amount is due, and it's due today. Since he couldn't pay, the king ordered that the servant, his family, and all his possessions be sold in order to recover a portion of what was owed. So what does the servant do? Same thing any of us would do. He falls on his knees and he begs and he pleads to this this king to be patient. Give me time and I will pay you everything. But the king doesn't take him up on his offer. Instead, the king has pity on him and forgives the entire debt. Twelve billion dollars. The servant then goes out, no doubt with a a great burden lifted, a sigh of relief. He then sees a fellow servant, and this servant owes him a hundred denarii. A hundred, that's not quite like 10,000, but it's still a good-sized number. But a denarii is what was paid for a day's labor, a day's work. It was a daily wage. So in a hundred days, give or take, payment could be made. The servant who had just left the king's presence goes over to this guy, this other servant, and demands payment. The other servant gives the exact same words, the exact same response as this other servant gave to the king. 
Have patience with me, and I will pay you. This other servant doesn't take the offer either. Instead, he begins to choke this guy. And then sends him off to prison. His king had just forgiven him this large debt, and now he throws this other servant to go to prison. Side note, how is this guy going to repay his debt if he's in prison? He's not coming out of prison. Well, the king hears of this and calls that unforgiving servant in. The guards bring him in. The king berates him and then throws him into prison until his debt is paid. Side note. How is he going to repay the debt if he's in prison? How much longer is this guy sentenced than the others? My friends, welcome to Christianity. I first want you to notice the generosity of that king, that master. Who in their right mind would allow someone to rack up that much debt in the first place? Millions or even billions of dollars. And then even more generously forgives it. This king is, of course, our God. And you are that unforgiving servant. And the debt owed is your sin, your wickedness. God will call you into his presence to settle your account. Your debt is great. Billions of dollars. He's been very generous with you. He could have recalled the debt much earlier. But he's allowed you to keep going. To keep taking advantage of his patience and his love. And take advantage you have. Your debt is huge. Yet for the sake of his son, Jesus, he forgives your entire debt. Forgiven because Jesus paid for it with his life. For the wages of sin is death. Eternal prison. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Debt paid. Debt forgiven. What does this mean for us? Well, freed from a prison of eternal hopelessness and despair. Prison from which we could never ever repay our debt. We walk freely out into the world, not with gratefulness in being set free, not in relief that our debt is lifted, but in rage against our own brothers and sisters who owe us an extremely smaller debt. Instead of forgiving, we withhold forgiveness. Remember, we should always approach our brothers and sisters, especially with forgiveness at the ready. It should be a a treasure that we are ready and willing to give at every moment. Just as God continues to give it to us. You see, we come and we seek His forgiveness with, with a voracious greed. We want forgiveness for ourselves. We covet it very much. Why? Because of our own sin selfishness. We want ourselves to be okay. But we could care less about those around us. You wicked servant. You don't understand your own forgiveness. My friends, forgiveness is a mark of Christ's church. It is the one gift that God has given us to redistribute. If we cannot forgive our own Christian brother, 
then what example are we to the world? How are they going to know to forgive unless we forgive? How are they going to know what forgiveness is unless we show them? So lift one another up. Support one another. Grieve with one another. Rejoice with one another. Rebuke one another. Forgive one another. This is life together. This is what it means to understand your own forgiveness. Understanding your own forgiveness means that you owe a great debt to God and to know that He does not have to forgive you because He owes you nothing and you owe Him everything. You justly deserve His present and eternal punishment. Understanding your own forgiveness means that when He forgives you, you are forgiven. Just like that. The debt is removed. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by His authority, I therefore forgive you of all your sins. Done. Man, what a great honor it is to be His messenger to say those words to you. For Him. Understanding your own forgiveness means that you take that forgiveness granted to you and you give it to others as they need it. Because they do. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways through the glory of your holy name. Do we not say these words? Understanding your own forgiveness means that God will forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Understanding your own forgiveness means that God has no limit on how much He has, does, or will forgive you. That doesn't bring some relief. If you need it, it's yours. And we do. We come here and we offer our sins. We confess our sins. We profess our sinfulness. Why? Because we know our God has forgiveness at the ready. We know He will give it when we ask. So if you need it, it's yours. Almighty God in His mercy has given His Son to die for you and for His sake forgives you all your sins. We say these words. We hear these words. Do we understand these words? Understanding your own forgiveness means that we should remember all of these things when we come confront a brother or a sister who has wronged us. Our goal is never revenge, pain, or heartache, but to regain our brother. Because yes, we want forgiveness for ourselves and we greedily come to get it. What about our brother, our sister? Do we want that for them too? We want to see them repent. To give them that gift of forgiveness that was granted to us. You see, it goes something like this. Forgive. Be forgiven. Forgive. Be forgiven. Forgive. Be forgiven. Forgive. Are you you picking up the cycle here? We should be able to go to our Christian brothers and sisters, confess our sins, and know that there is forgiveness at the ready. hope, I think, Peter may have finally began to understand his own forgiveness. 
I hope that you too have once again begun to understand your own forgiveness too. Amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.